0: Well, I want to thank you all for joining us today, boys and girls. I was lucky enough to have a couple volunteers step up when I called them on Thursday and said, hey, I, I have to be up here, and I'm glad that they uh, have stepped up and helped me with the boys and girls. So if you want to head downstairs, we've got some good lessons for you today. And whether you're joining us here or online today, I'm happy to be here. And as we kind of go through, I'm going to continue. Jason has been leading us through the book of Acts. And I thought, well, instead of going off script and, and doing something different, that one of my sermons that I've been working on, I thought I'd just keep going along with the books of Acts. It's one of my favorite books outside of the gospel, the book of Acts. So I know it fairly well. I've read it quite a bit. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the story of Stephen, which finishes up in the um, chapter six of, six of Acts and then in seven. And if you can remember from last week's reading, Stephen was one of the seven men that were chosen to run the food program for the church, right? The apostles realized that their job had to be completely in planting churches and spreading Jesus' word, and, he, and they chose Stephen here. And we're going to start by finishing up where he was in 6, but as you're going to see, Stephen was doing much more than being than running a food program. He was obviously chosen by God. As I turn my thing on here. So if you want to follow along, this is in 6, and it starts in uh, chapter 6, and starts in verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started a debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Sil- Silcia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand up against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, (laughs) We heard him blaspheming Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and and the teachers of religious law, so they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. Lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as angels. So here we see that Stephen's helping establishing the churches. And we see that he's obviously chosen because he's performing miracles in Jesus' name. It doesn't say what miracles, but it's safe to assume that he's performing miracles like Jesus performed miracles. He was healing people. He was performing miracles as such. And yet somehow people view that as something bad and want to bring him down because it challenges their authority, right? It's it's the same old cycle over and over again. And he's brought to trial. And that's the main point of today's lesson. What we're going to talk about that we have to remember is even as a member of God's church, you will face trials. We discussed this before, but it, it does bear repeating. Too many people share stories that hey come on to the church and your life's going to be rainbows and sunshine for the rest of the time everything's going to be great that's not that's not the case that's not what's going to happen and why do we know that's not going to happen because the man himself told us it wasn't going to happen Jesus himself said I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble But take heart, I have overcome the world. So, don't hear me wrong. Your life is better with Jesus in it, in this broken world. There's no doubt about that either. But it doesn't mean you get out of the trials that we created when we chose to sin against God, right? But with Jesus in your life, eventually those trials will end one way or another because he has overcome this broken world. But we can't forget that we're going to face trials, that bad things are going to happen, sometimes through our own creation, sometimes through no fault of our own. And today what we want to talk about is how can we bravely stand up to these trials? How can we be someone who, with Jesus in our life, the trials don't break us? And in Stephen's story, we can find three things I thought that could help us as we face trials in this world. Now, bear in mind this could be a literal trial that you're on trial for something, accused of something, or it can be a trial like, you know, something in your life, a challenge that you're up against. Now, the first one I can't emphasize enough. I, you know, usually you keep your best point for last, but it's in the story and it's the way it's go, and it's so important. The first skill we can use that Stephen demonstrates is biblical knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding. As we talk about what happens to Stephen here, he's going to talk a lot of biblical knowledge here in a second. I'm gonna have to skim through it. It's so much the chapter seven that it would take 15 minutes for me to read it all. So we're gonna skim through it and see how he responds as he's in trial then the high priest asked Stephen are these accusations true this was Stephen's reply brothers and fathers listen to me O glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran God told him leave your native land and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you so Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. But God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants. Even though he had no children yet, God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, God said. And in the end, they will come out and worship me here in this place. Oops, sorry. So what he does is he establishes, he's in front of the Sanhedrin. That's a bunch of Sadducee priests, the highest of the Sadducee priests, that are accusing him and asking him, to, why are you doing such things? Accusing him of blasphemy against God. The first thing he establishes is that he has the knowledge that they have he knows the Bible he knows the stories that came before him as they were recorded he can speak to them the same way that they can speak to him but and he's establishing that we were given this covenant with God with Abraham that we're going to be given this land we are going to be Given a Messiah. What he does next is is really good. He goes in, he continues, this is some of this text I gotta go through. He talks about Isaac and Jacob and others of the ancestry. He continues to talk through that until he eventually comes to Moses. And he spoke he speaks of Moses' birth and how he was adopted by the princess and his life and the burning bush all the way through leading the Israelites out of Egypt and the great miracles they observed, including the parting of the Red Sea, right, that led them through to the Promised Land and crushed his enemies. What Stephen does now is what's very important. What did I say? There was two things we had to know. We had to have the knowledge and understanding. Stephen demonstrates an understanding that the Sadducees don't get. As he talks about this, follow along and we'll see what understanding he got. Moses was with our ancestors, the assembly of God's people in the wilderness, when the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai, and there Moses received life-giving words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us some gods so who can lead us, for we don't know what has become of Moses, who brought us out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf, a golden calf, and they sacrificed to it and celebrated over this thing they had made. Then God turned away from them and abandoned them to serve the stars of heaven as their gods. He doesn't doesn't stop with Moses. He moves on to David and says, David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for God of Jacob but it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? See, through these two things and, and others that Stephen brought up, he's showing he has an understanding that when God gives a plan, the people often turn away from it. He flips the script on the Sadducees. They're accusing him of blasphemy, and he's telling them they're being blasphemous. They're just like all those before him. When God has a plan, Moses had a plan what the people do it wasn't good enough for him. Let's build a golden calf and we'll pray to that. David, as close as he was, he was called a man near and dear to God and He wants to build a temple, which is the old plan. God doesn't live in temples. That's not his intention. We see knowledge without understanding just doesn't work. Let me give you an example. I'm not very handy in some things, but I could get a book and I could tear an engine apart with a book or a YouTube video like my son does all the time. I could get something that tells me how to pull it, put, it, put it all together, right, and then put it back together. I don't know. Do I have any mechanics in here? Does anybody think it'll turn when I, turn, when I build it off that book? It's not. There are knowledge that people have acquired through being a mechanic. Maybe you need to put a little grease on this seal or it's going to let air in. Well, that wasn't in the book. Maybe this said it goes here, but it goes there. But that's not in the book have to have knowledge and understanding together. They don't work apart. So many times with the Bible, people are talking about knowing it, but not understanding it. You know, we don't want to take that type of approach. So for us, what do we do? How can we get better understanding of the Bible? We can come here, and we can hear, and we can get knowledge, and hopefully Jason and I can give some understanding to it, but it should go further than that. I want to tell you a few things that I do as I've kind of taken this journey. One of the things, you know, when I started this journey, I got a good piece of advice from somebody. And they told me, whatever you do, preach the Bible. And that seems like a pretty, like, duh, right? You know, isn't that what I'm supposed to do and stuff? But I've come to have some more understanding that Uh, Well, more understanding of understanding. i got to understand what the scriptures say. I can't just say what they say and then expect everyone else. And too many times in this world, it's very important because we have churches now that their most important thing is their message, and they conform the Bible to their message. So they include people, everybody they can get in through the doors. And I'm sorry, I I wish I could say that's the truth, but that's, that's not the truth. The truth is we have some black and white things in the Bible that we can't conform to us. We have to conform to it. So understanding is very important. How, I, how do I understand? How did I take that vice to heart and try and do the best I can? Well, obviously, first thing I need to do is I read my Bible. I read it and sometimes I have to read some things two or three times. It's written in an older language. Even the New Living Transla- Translation lacks some things that I need to understand with it, right? The other thing, outside, I I don't just spend Sunday in here listening to sermons. I listen to quite a few throughout the week from other pastors, whether it's through our own right now media that we use or YouTube or whatever I'm facing. Maybe I just YouTube, hey, I need to hear some Bible stories about this. I listen to other pastors speak. I discuss my thoughts with other people. I, I called Jason a few times on this, like, hey, am I right on this passage? I'm not exactly sure. I've done a bunch of research He helps me. I talk to my wife. I talk to others in the community and say, hey, this is my understanding. Is that how you hear it? And they give me some good feedback. And ultimately, most importantly, I pray to God that he lets me understand it, understands what he means. Time and time again, there's so many misunderstandings in the Bible that people read and want to use it for their purposes. Sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? I'm not going to lie to you, it is. It's a lot of time spent throughout the week doing that. But what do they say? Anything that that is worth doing is worth doing right. And I can promise you this, there's nothing more worthwhile than getting into God's Word, listening to God's Word, putting it in your heart, helping guide you. So if there's anything worthwhile, it's time spent here. Biblical knowledge and understanding can help guide you through trials in life. Uh, Anybody remember Billy Mays, the infomercial guy? Look, he could be up here, you know, hey, you got financial problems? You got to use the Bible. You got marriage problems? Hey, this is the one-off, fix all Slap that on there and it can help you. Outside of an infomercial, that's absolutely true. You know, they have these things here like I said, there's times I I'm, you know, I go to work on Monday and we have four people out with COVID, of which two of them I've sat right by for several days. You know, I might have to go on there and there's one person in this world, in this broken world that I know is smarter than me, and I've told you before, it's Google. So I go on and I ask Google, man, give me, what, what Bible verse can I go to to kind of get my mind right today? You know, first thing I worry about is my health. I really should. first thing I should be worrying about is their health. They've already had it. They've got it. How are they doing? We've had two people that were very sick. The Bible is there for us to help us through these trials. But we can't just read it and say, okay, it said this. We have to understand it. You have to put it on your heart. And that's what Stephen showed us as he begun his trial his trial for his very life. Because if he's found guilty, he's put to death. Now that he's demonstrated biblical knowledge, what does he do next? What skill can really help us as we face trials? A boldness for God. Read now with me, if you will, in verse 51, how he responded, what he told them how he explained to him the biblical knowledge and understanding he just said you stubborn people you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth must you forever resist the holy spirit that's what your ancestors did and so do you name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute they even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one the messiah whom you betrayed and murdered you deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. Would you say that's a bold statement in front of a jury or a trial that, you're, that can find you innocent or guilty? I think it was a Al Pacino movie. You know, this whole court's out of order. You're out of order. He's, he, he goes back just at them, just like that movie. How dare you? Stephen isn't worried about sugarcoating it for everybody, is he? We talk about churches, and there's a lot of sugarcoating going on today about the word. He isn't worried about that. He's showing us we need to be bold. He isn't worried about sparing anyone's feelings. He's filled with the spirit. The spirit's speaking through Stephen. And he's not worried about the consequences. You know, this reminds me of some things in this world and how blessed we are to be here today. And I don't just mean here at this church, but here in this country, as as many problems as it has, and it does. But in this country, we're able to gather together and praise our God, right? You know, there's a lot of countries that when people do that, men take them, they place them on their knees, and they raise a machete and tell them, speak ill of your God tell us that he doesn't exist or else it amazes me how many choose or else that they will not back down even with their life on the line I wonder what I would do in that situation I don't know that you can put yourself in that situation we've been so blessed we're allowed to do what we are to do in this country You know, all of us would like to say, hey, I know what I'm going I'm to do. I'm going to be just like that guy, and I'm going to not say anything bad about God, and I'm going to pay the consequences. But it's, it's, I don't think it's that simple unless you put yourself in that situation. But day in and day out, Christians do. Don't let us forget, we're not that far from what this is throughout most of the world. So when we face these trials, can we be bold? Are we going to be bold like Stephen? Are we going to be timid like a mouse? You know, there's scripture in the Bible on how we should be bold. Many of which are from Acts that we just went through recently. Look what Acts 4.13 says. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. These bold men are going out and speaking out just like these other people do in countries. Acts 4.29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And I love this last one, which was later in 2 Corinthians 3.12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. So with hope in Jesus, there's no reason for us not to be bold, right? That what what was driving people like Stephen, who had this hope that they could be bold. He didn't shriek in the face of death. He was not going to let God down. There's one other point I want to make about boldness in this that can be lost in the reading. You know, there's a lot of exclamation points in there. So you know he was speaking with great fervor. But it could be lost, and this is where we have to have understanding. When you read that, you may think that. Stephen is speaking with great anger. In fact, when I read it, that's what I, where I was going to. I'm thinking, you know, I try to put myself in Stephen's shoes and that's what he's doing. And you think with boldness, you know, you see a lot of people get angry. You know, a thing that's divided us, which I'm not getting into, the whole mass mandate and this or that, you know, I've seen people bold on both sides with it because they feel, but it always comes down to anger. Stephen wasn't speaking out of anger. Stephen was speaking out of the love he had for God. His love was so great for God, he was going to be bold and let them know what they were doing wasn't right. He was focused. Remember a few weeks ago I talked about, do you focus on being right or being righteous? He was focused on the righteousness, the righteousness of God. It didn't matter if he was right. He was right, but it was God's righteousness that was on trial, really. And that's what he was speaking to. You know, I'm going to be honest with you on my on my boldness. Um, well, now I'm going to hold it for a minute. I'm going to go into to other things. I'm going to talk about people that we know in this life. I would imagine every one of us, if you haven't, you've been very very lucky, if been touched by someone who has had cancer. I have had several stories of people I've lost, or who have defeated cancer. And I have not known anybody who's had cancer who hadn't told me they're going to beat it, who had the boldness that they were going to win that fight. I'm struck by that boldness. You know, the odds are almost... I've had one where the odds were greatly in favor of the person. Everyone else, the odds were greatly against them. Didn't matter. They were bold. They were going to win. In some cases, they did. In some cases, they didn't. But as long as they were with God, no matter what, they may have lost the battle, but they were going to win the war. That's where their boldness comes from. I admire them so much. And so thankful that, that, that God emboldens them with this message. You know, like them, we're gonna find that Stephen sometimes you lose the battle, but you're going to win the war. And Stephen was much like them as we wrap up his story. And the most sorry. One of the things that he does at the very end, the skill that he possesses is forgiveness forgiveness of everything that he's gone through which he certainly didn't deserve and we're going to see that here as we wrap up this story when the members of the sanhedrin heard this they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him but stephen full of the holy spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of god and jesus standing at the right hand of god look he said i see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of god at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we'll learn more about shortly. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. When they mean he fell asleep in that time, it meant that he had passed. Can you think of a worse thing than going through stoning? Countries today, like I said, we're not that far away. They still use that as a form of death punishment in certain countries. So, despite knowing that he was righteous in the Lord's plan, despite being bold and standing up for the Lord, the Sanhedrin's hearts just weren't going to be reached that day. And he was put to death. And in face of all that, once again, Stephen still loved God so much that he followed his example. Can you think of another time when someone said, Forgive him? When he was hanging on a cross, they know not what they do. He understood what Jesus meant and he followed his example. That's, to me, that's a wild wow moment when people do this in the Bible that's really showing how much a love you have for Jesus Christ that you can forgive the very people that are putting you to death how about us do we forgive people that are putting us in trials this is where I'm gonna be honest about me I'm more of the God's might my enemies type guy I wish I wasn't I wish I wasn't an angry man but I have a lot of anger and that's how I would feel in those situations at least when it first pops up a little bit of reflection and going back in the Bible and God brings me back to where I need to be but when it first happens I'm in that I'm in that category but I can tell you what that category does to me it wears me out being filled with anger towards people is a great Burden, I don't want to carry anymore. In fact, I'll ask you to pray for me. I am getting better. I'm not where I was. I'm not where I need to be, though. But if any of you are in that category where we're not a forgiving person going through trials, boy, we really need to move into that category. I think of people who have had loved ones murdered, and I'll see them stand up at the trial and tell him I forgive you. That is a Christian heart that I aspire to one day be like. I don't want anyone to go through such things, but I get mad at people for cutting me off in traffic. Josh knows that, we joke all the time. I have some serious road rage, but it's not as bad as it used to be, but it's not where it needs to be. I can't imagine having a heart like Christ to forgive somebody who had killed someone so close to me like these people do. And that's why it's important. We're going to come full circle on why it's important to understand Scripture because I'm going to go back to Scripture. I'm going to show you a Scripture that most people use wrongly. And you'll notice as soon as you read it. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Turn the other cheek. We've all heard it, right? We've also probably all heard it in a matter of, you know... Let them slap the other cheek as well. That's not what it says. It's one of the most misunderstood, misquoted things also that Christians are supposed to be meek. And if somebody you know slaps you down, you get up and just let them slap you down again. That's not what it says. That's not what it means through further instruction and talking to others to make sure I feel that I got this right. It means you don't have to respond to them the way they did to you. Because someone cut me off in traffic doesn't mean I need to get up on their bumper and go around and cut them off in traffic. Because someone ch- cheated and stole from me doesn't mean I should just go back and try and hurt them and cheat and steal from them back. That's what forgiveness is. Just because someone hurts us doesn't mean let, us, let them keep hurting you, that people often think. It means it doesn't mean you have to go back and hurt them back. What they do to you is a reflection of them, What you do back to them is a reflection on you. Understanding the verses can help us in forgiveness. I hope none of you have to be in the situation that Stephen was in. It was a horrible situation. I certainly hope no one's ever stoned, here or anywhere. But we are going to get some bad beats, I like to call them, in this world. Some things we didn't deserve. That's just because this is a sinful world. So when we're doing that, when we get the short end of the stick, whether it's something small or whether it's something large, we need to realize that what Jesus was about was taking all of the misunderstandings of the sanhedrins that the scripture was there to rule us, to keep us down. We have to understand, like Stephen understood, That Jesus came to set us free not to keep us down when we kind of go through these things I got one last question for you when you have biblical knowledge and understanding if you seek that and whether you're one of the kids that are learning downstairs or whether you're someone who's in your 90s you should always keep seeking it doesn't matter how many times you read the Bible You've got to remind yourself, and Jesus might tell you something different this time than last time as far as your understanding. When you seek boldness for God, to be righteous in his eyes, and to, to give others forgiveness even when they don't deserve it, much like he gave it to us, right? If you do all these three things, how can your life be any worse? How can your life be nothing but better? It's not that easy usually when we do sermons, but when I kind of reviewed, I'm like, well, this could bring nothing but good things to us, right? It's like when I talk to non-believers, I'm like, well, how could this be anything but good, regardless of what you think? We have to aspire to learn and follow Jesus like Stephen did. And then our lives, even in trials, we can get the blessings. If you would, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the forgiveness that you've given us that we do not deserve. We thank you for allowing us to be bold because we know in the next world we can have glory. So there's no reason in this world not to be bold in your name. And Lord, we thank you for the Bible we thank you for your word, your lessons, that it can guide us and give us knowledge and understanding of what you wanted to achieve in this broken world. In your name, Amen. As we go to communion, I guess I step here. I want to share a story with you again about some people in this world and understanding God's teaching. I want to talk to you about. I'm going to read this.